Al Berry and Tim Parrish. This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. Sal Berry here along with Tim Parrish. Excited as always that you are listening to us talk about hockey and hockey cards. Tim, how you doing? I can't complain. No one listens to me anyway. Oh, no. People listen to you every week on this podcast. Oh, well, there's those people. I'm not going to complain to them. I want to gain listeners, not lose them. Yeah, that's true. I'm, like, still super amped because over the weekend, my beer league hockey team won the championship. So Yeah, I saw that. Congratulations. Yeah, I mean, I, I had very little to do with the contributions to our championship. I did assist on a goal, maybe on two goals. The referees are really terrible about tracking um, tracking points. Like, there was one goal I should have gotten assist on that I didn't. There was one goal that I assisted on, and they credited me with the goal. They're just... That particular league, they just don't know what they're doing with the stats. But uh, whatever. I think the important thing is, is like when you play, if you're not a high scoring player, then I think you just your hope is to not be a minus player. And I wasn't a minus player. I was actually on the ice for a couple of goals uh, for us. I wasn't on the uh, ice for any goals against us. So, yay. There you go. Yeah. And I played uh, a lot of NHLers. Well, yeah, but they're put in more high-pressure situations, and they're not playing in a lower D division. So just to they're just also to, paid a couple dollars more. Yeah, whereas we're paying to play, they're being paid to play. I was going to say, what what is league minimum in the beer league? Like, <laughs> uh, you usually like what you end up paying is going to cost you anywhere from 15 to 25 a game, depending on where the league is and how much that league charges uh, for a season and then how many games you get per season and stuff. So that's, that's what you pay for your, for your, your ice time um, roughly. Uh, but um, I was, uh, yeah, no, hockey it's is for everyone. Hockey is, you have money. Well, God, yeah. How about that? <laughs> Unfortunately. God. No, that's that that can't be a more accurate statement. Hockey is for everyone. Did you say if only oh, only if you have money or I said if only if you have money. Yeah, no, it's so expensive. Yeah. I mean, it is just so expensive. Ice time is just it costs a lot. It's even crazier in some cities and states where they have less. I mean, I was talking to somebody from San Jose, and he was telling me that they have beer league hockey games that start as late as 1 a.m. 1 a.m. I, yeah, okay. Chicago, 10.45 p.m. is not uncommon. Um, anything before 11 is considered a good start time. Um, anything before 10 is considered like almost unthinkable. So if you have like a 9.30 p.m. game, it's like, ooh, it's only 9.30 game, right? So it's crazy what some cities have in in as far as like ice times. Yeah. Um, so um, one of the things we're going to talk about in a little bit, our big topic for today, is we're going to look back at the 1994-95 NHL lockout, which was 25 years ago. We're going to talk about that and how it affected not just the game of hockey, 
that could be a podcast unto itself, but also how it affected hockey cards. Because there's a few things that, you know, were really big as far as hockey car- uh, cards are concerned. I mean, obviously, Parkhurst coming out with the cards in 51, Tops coming out with cards a couple years later, the big hockey card explosion of the early 90s, um, you know, the the strike in 92, the lockout in 94, the other lockout in 2004, 05. I mean, all of these things played some part in shaping hockey cards and hockey collectibles. So that's going to be our big topic. Um, but, Tim, you want to talk about the uh, Ottawa Senators firing their CEO, Jim Little? Yeah, so in the, the, the world of the weird Ottawa Senators, um, it came out today that um, that they basically canned their their CEO for conduct that was unbecoming a senator or I forget how they actually worded it mm-hmm. um, and you know all sorts of things have been happening with Ottawa this year and it's just a mess up there mm-hmm. I mean, it really and truly is and it's like you know you try to you try to look at it with an open mind based off of the ownership and everything else that's there, but it's really hard. And I think a lot of people are seeing that, um, you know, he was just hired. Little was just hired like two months ago. Right. And so they announced that, Oh yeah. Conduct inconsistent with the core values of the team and the NHL. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what it said. So, um, you know, I, I've never met the guy. I don't know the guy. I'm not in the know. I don't know anything about him, but everything I hear from people talking, it sounds like Eugene Melnick is an impossible person to work with. That's that's all it seems to sound like. Did uh, you did you see uh, Little's uh, tweet about his firing? I did, because the statement that came out from Ottawa was kind of bizarre, I think. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so Little comes out and he's like, look, I got nothing against the team. I have nothing against the city, the coaches. You know, we all need to support them. But the team made this statement that contained language uh, that I need to basically clarify. And he said that on Valentine's Day, he was talking to the owner and they had a personal disagreement over whatever approach to whatever thing he was doing. Mm-hmm. And since he's such a strong-willed person, he got into it and basically swore at him. Mm-hmm. I'd like to know what he said, but I guess we'll probably never know that. But, um, yeah, he swore at him on the phone, which he apologized for later. But he only imagines that that's exactly what it was that got him canned. So, I don't know. Well, I, until we learn otherwise, we'll just assume that's what it was. Yeah, but... Um. Uh, and you swearing wanted... at an owner in the NHL. Mm, mm. Not smart. Yeah, but swearing. Okay. Live broadcasts on NBC, of all places, you constantly hear it. When Pierre Maguire or, or Bush or whoever's down on the ice, you hear it in the background all mm-hmm, the time. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Or every time the Blackhawks win a Stanley Cup. One of them is going to let loose and curse, whether it's Corey Crawford or Andrew Shaw. 
Yeah. So I, I, I just don't get it. This is why he's fired for swearing. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, There's got to be more to it than that. Yeah, the Suns are in 15th out of 16 in, in their uh, conference and uh, as of this recording. And, um, you know, they're obviously not a good team. So uh, yeah. maybe he had, maybe the owner had unrealistic expectations, probably had unrealistic expectations. I'm sure every other, every other league team that's mismanaged is looking at them going wow we aren't as bad as the senators at least Mm -hmm. like the marlins or the knicks (laughs) god they're awful but anyway Mm. so that's a different sport yeah so speaking of awful how about that um that johnny boychuk injury that was crazy i don't know if you were watching the game when it happened but i was not but i did see the replays later Yeah, watching the replay that was that was scary um you know the good thing was he got back up and got off the ice quickly um but the fact that he had to have 90 stitches and some plastic surgery done to repair what happened i mean and i know we briefly chatted about it before but people bring up the the clint malarchuk thing where he got his throat slashed I mean, there's been other incidences where players get hit with the skate and stuff like that. Look, you, you play you play rec hockey or beer league hockey. Mm-hmm. How often do you sharpen your skates? I just gotten sharpened a couple days ago. It depends on how much you you skate. Well, prior uh, me, to that, when did about you once a month, them? maybe once a month. These guys are sharpening their skates in between periods sometimes. Yeah, I mean, these things are like razor blades. So the fact that you have, you know, a player going down to the ice whose leg comes up, I mean, it's like a machete just coming right across mm-hmm. your face. And, you know, these guys aren't wearing full face protectors and, you know, s- stuff like that. Other than a visor, I mean, there's nothing. But, I mean, he was bleeding profusely after that. Yeah. And just, oh, my gosh, it was scary. But, it, the, you know, we don't know when he's going to come back, but the good news is – and you know, they kind of made reference to it yesterday, and I think his brother got on Twitter and tweeted out that he was doing good and in good spirits and everything mm-hmm. else. And uh, Big Lou made the announcement that he's okay and, you know, talked about how it only hit his eyelid, didn't mm-hmm. damage any of his eye. Mm-hmm. He can still see. They did the eye test and everything else. But, uh, you know, he'll be fine in the long run, mm-hmm. which is which is great. And the fact that he tweeted out, hey, thanks for the support, everything else. He, he mentioned that, you know, sorry it took me so long to respond, but my facial recognition software on my phone wouldn't let me log in, which yeah. I thought was hilarious. But, you know, it's good, it's good that, he's, uh, that he's okay. But that was definitely a scary moment. And, you know, with the, the manager's meetings ending this week, you know, that's one of those moments where it pops into people's heads. Uh-oh, do we need to change something for player safety and this and that and the other? And, it, you know, it's just one of those freak things that could just happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, I, I see something like that. And I think, like, me being a rec league player, uh, if I got hit in the face, I wear full facial protection. NHL players obviously don't do that. I'm wondering if they ever will. 
But I know the answer to that is no, as long as there's fighting is allowed, they're not they're you're never gonna be allowed to have a full facial protection. Oh, and there's still tons of guys in the NHL that if they could go to it, they would and not wear a helmet like they did in the old days. I don't know about that. I don't think. Oh, there have been players that have come out and said if they had the option, they would go without it, which Mm. to me in this day and age with the game as fast as it is, I think that's crazy. But, you know, to each of their own. Now, hold on a second, because I wrote an article about for Hockey News about the last 10 guys to play without helmets. 92-93 season and 93-94 season, the NHL actually repealed the mandatory helmet rule. Only two players um, tried that out. One was uh, Greg Smith, who was an enforcer with the the Calgary Flames at the time. He said that he wore, he went without a helmet for 10 games and then he went back to wearing one. Uh, Why? Did he say why? Uh... When I spoke with him, and you know, sadly, Greg Smith passed away uh, a couple years ago. Uh, when I spoke to him, I asked him about that. I said, was there any uh, a, a reason like that? And he said he remembered watching the Maple Leafs in the 70s when he was a kid. And, you know, the players skating around without helmets and just how how cool it was. So he wanted to be like his heroes. He wanted to skate without a helmet. Now yeah, get the full effect of the flow in the back. Absolutely, and he had some he had some killer sick flow. Uh, however, Greg Smith was also a, a fighter, an enforcer, and he didn't say this at the time. But people who were Flames fans told me that he was definitely at a disadvantage when he got into fights because his helm he didn't have a helmet. So already, you know, he drops the gloves, and the other guy's already whacking him in the side of the head because he and he's whacking the guy in the helmet, you know, because there's only so much, you know, area. To punch, right? So he was definitely at a disadvantage when he got into a fight, although that wasn't one of the things that he brought up at the time. Um, But that's just something that I surmised from what other people uh, observed uh, and just thinking about it, you know. Um, So uh, he didn't he didn't play with the helmet for 10 games. Of course, I mean, there's varying records on that. Uh, one article said three games. He said 10 games. I believe him because, you know, he lived it. But uh, as far as um, uh, otherwise, like Brett Hull didn't wear a helmet in the 93 All-Star game. And he didn't he, he didn't like the experience enough to want to continue going without a helmet. Uh, and then in 94, Jeremy Roenick was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to play the All-Star game without a helmet. And Doug Wilson talked him out of it. So, which is funny because Doug Wilson played without a helmet. So uh, that was pretty much it. So now in this day and age, I mean, look, players can opt out of wearing a visor. And most don't. I mean, there's only a handful of guys who don't wear visors in the NHL. Otherwise, you have to wear it. Yeah. So I can't see a player saying, oh, yeah, I would totally play without a helmet if they just if they would just let me. But then they're wearing a visor. You know what I mean? It's like, well, if you really don't want to wear a helmet, start with not wearing a visor. And I'm not recommending that. I'm just saying. So I'm I'm not sure about if, if I buy that. Well, I was trying to think while we were talking here, I was trying to think of who the other one was, the other famous one. And I, it was uh, Borea Salming got stepped on by Gerard Gallant. He oh, yeah? Get, he had to get 200 stitches in his face. Shh. Yeah, there's some ugly pictures of that if you go. Google that one. Borea yeah. Salming's face. 
and you'll see uh, some nastiness where it went down from his the top of his eyebrow, went right down his eye, down to the corner of his mouth. Wow. Yeah, so that was another bad one. But yeah, it was Gerard Gallant that did that. Yeah, so as long as players aren't wearing full facial protection, you know, if they get rid of fighting, then there's not this whole, like, well, you need to be able to drop the gloves and hit the other guy in the face mentality, right? Then it's just and like half everybody... the time you watch the fights and they don't ever take their helmets off. They're like punching each other in the helmets and stuff. Yeah. There's really not a lot to punch. I break my hand doing that. Yeah. So I would just, I don't know. I mean, whatever. People are going to argue that fighting has a place in hockey. And I tend to agree. But at the same time, I'm just like, I want the guys to be safe, though. I mean, we don't want to see Johnny Boychuk get hit in the face with a skate and, and, and miss a bunch of games either. You don't see anybody. You don't see that happen to anybody. You know, despite the fact that it's fast paced and high energy and lots of testosterone flying around out there, and you know, you like to see tempers flare and boil over. Mm -hmm. In the grand scheme of things, I don't think anybody really wants to hurt each other. No, no. Not today, not in today's day and age. Maybe deep seated, but you know, nobody would ever admit to that. And I surely don't think. Lekkonen did that on purpose. That was complete accident. No, God, no. No, 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 no. Of course not. So, so speaking of purpose and doing it on purpose, so there's a little bit of a a video that kind of made the rounds on uh, Twitter with the card collectors of uh, some guy searching packs and some other guy who's taking the video is yelling at the guy and a couple of Walmart employees intervene. I mean, it Sounds the way I describe it sounds way cooler than it actually is. Um, <laughs> oh, no, it was pretty cool. Actually, the guy, it was, it was silly. The, the guy, whoever took the video. Mm-hmm. Okay, look, pack searchers yep. are dumb. Just, they're just dumb. Okay. I, not, not so much because they're, they're just dumb. Why do you sit there going through retail packs looking for a $3 jersey card? Or a two, five, or, $4 sticker autograph. Yeah, and not like you're going to be able to find the sticker autographs necessarily because they're about the same size as the rest of the cards in most cases. Right. But, you know, being able to find a, a jersey card, and honestly, nobody really wants jersey cards anymore. And these are the retail ones, which are usually different prints in most releases than anything else so watching somebody sit there and waste all their time looking for a couple dollars worth of stupid jersey cards it's dumb it's Mm -hmm. silly and getting that upset over it is ridiculous i understand it though because what they're doing i don't know i don't know if it's illegal or not but it's probably borderline i mean that's tampering with merchandise merchandise right i mean Maybe not illegal, but it's against the policy of whatever store they're in, I'm sure. But it seemed like the Walmart people were trying to protect the guy. Stores don't really understand packs. Like, stores like Walmart don't really understand packs. I mean, they don't... Well, and they from don't... a retail standpoint, they don't deal with them. They're vendor-driven. No. It's not inventory that's monitored by them. It's not inventory that's kept by them. And all of the sales and everything for those, I worked retail. 
I've been in that environment and vendor driven merchandise is a completely separate category when it comes down to your actual sales and it's broken out. So what do you, you know, mean by vendor driven merchandise? Uh, merchandise that's not inventoried. It's brought in by the vendor. It's taken out by the vendor. So in this case, so there's a there's a distributor who deals with these cards on behalf of Target or Walmart or whatever. When I worked retail back when I did, it was exactly that. There was a vendor or a distributing company that would deal with the local Walmarts, the Targets, um, Meyer, you know, who, whoever is actually selling the products. They would bring the product. They would also clean up the shelves, you know, change the price tags, take out old product, replace with new product. They would do all of that. Mm-hmm. Refle- refresh the displays. They did all of that. And when the time came, they took their stuff back with them. Mm-hmm. I worked for an inventory service that did retail. And I can't tell you how many targets we did where the card wall, per se, wasn't was a DNI, do not inventory. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. it was all vendor vendor monitored. So why waste your resources and time caring about something that, yeah, the store makes some money off of, but it's not factored into the overall numbers. Well, I like the way the guy in the video is yelling and going, oh, you're taking it away from the kids or whatever. And I thought about what you said many, many podcasts ago when you're like, card collecting isn't for kids. Like, you know, when people say, you oh, it to be, but it's not right. Right. So that's why I had the chuckle. Like the one time I saw a pack searcher, I was at Target and it was funny because usually when I go to the card aisle at Target, I'm by myself. And then usually like on top of that, there's usually like shopping carts or the flat carts with merchandise in the card aisle. Yeah, so half blocking the time, everything so you have to move stuff to get to it. And, right. Yeah. Or you're standing two aisles over squinting to try to see if you could see what's there. Right. You're pushing around this flatbed with an entertainment center that somebody, you know, is going to pick up oh, later. And struggle so of the retail collector is real. We so all share it. I am in the aisle and I notice another guy looking at the cards and you know me i like to talk to people and i like to i like to talk about cards so i'm just like oh you know i i like i i kind of made a joke to him as i was like pushing this card or whatever i'm like wow they they really take care of us card collectors don't they and the guy just like totally ignored me like i didn't say anything to him so i thought oh maybe he has headphones on right so i kind of took another look kind of looked at him again Cause it just seemed weird that he like flat out ignored me. And then I, I like paused there for a second and I'm like, are you searching packs? And I, I just asked like that, like I was surprised cause I, I didn't know what he was doing, but his hands were just, he was just like, and, and he shrugged and he just walked off. He like turned and walked off. Like he of was course. scared or something. And like, I wasn't like, Hey, you nerd, you're searching packs. Get out of here. I, I was just like, hello there, fellow card collector. And he didn't say anything. And then I'm just like, oh, are you searching? And then he just like, he scuttled away. And I'm just like, oh, okay. I guess he was searching packs. And I was like, ah, oh, bummer. I thought I was going to make a new card collecting friend. And instead he he ran away. Look, I, I get it. They're looking for the hits. I mean, obviously they're looking for the hits. But it's, 
I don't think the pack searchers are actually the collectors. These are the guys that are selling the cards. These are the guys that set up at the shows advertising hot all they packs. sell are hot packs because they pack search. So, okay, so they know that there's something in this pack. They don't know what it is. It could be garbage. But especially in retail, you're not really going to get those super crazy hits that people are pulling out of hobby because they don't cross over that way. So Well, one time I got a really, I mean, there's been a few times when I've gotten good cards in retail packs. I think the best I got was a, um, in a box of 0607 OPG. It was a blaster box. I got a, uh, Marcel Dion card, signed autographed card. That was okay, nice. But, but hear what you said. It came out of a blaster box. Yep. yep. So really you're talking about packaging that's shrink wrapped and inside of a box and inside of extra padded cardboard protection because they slide the packs in that little insert that's on the inside mm-hmm. there. So I'm not saying that's foolproof, but you can't really rub and feel and twist and turn that box to figure out what's in there. The only way to figure out if it's different would be to weigh it, mm-hmm. which adds that extra element of the morons that come in with their little, their little uh, portable scales that fit in their hand and weigh the stuff and try to see, oh, well, this one is, you know, 0.02 ounces more than the other one, so there must be something in it. Mm-hmm. So so that that's different. I mean, obviously, finding something like that in a blaster box is totally different. But the pack searchers are usually going after the loose packs that are on the shelf, like the the individual packs that mm-hmm. come out of the retail boxes that are busted open and sold on a per pack basis, or they're pulling the fat packs off the rack or, you know, something that's something that's open that they could twist and turn and manipulate. Look, I get, I understand the point. I think the guy was a little ridiculous and making a bigger deal out of it than it actually was. Mm-hmm. I don't like these people, but they're never going to go away. And especially now with, with the card market, like, if it's not already there heading the direction of, you know, early to mid nineties fervor because of various reasons, you know, so many different people are looking and and going, Oh, I can make money off of this again. Well, I might as well jump back in and you're always going to have the crooked people. And I don't know. It's just, I don't like the people, but I'm not going to, I don't want to say risk my life by videotaping them and causing a scene, but I don't know that I would actually do that. I have taken pictures of some before, mm-hmm. but I've never actually like confronted them and offered to duel them in the parking lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, like when I was a kid, you remember the 1990 score hockey, how see-through those rappers were? Yeah. Anybody who says they've never, anyone who bought 90 score back in the day, or maybe even score baseball, hell, any score product from the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, we've all, we've all done that. You could see the top card. You could see what the top card is. You can see it through the package. That's different than picking the package up and like putting your fingers on the top and your thumbs on the bottom and running your hands across it and denting all the corners in the process just to figure out if they're going to slide or shift easier than others. Mm-hmm. It's dumb. It's stupid. No, I, I agree. For, all, for a, 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 all for a $2 jersey card or $3 yeah. autograph that you... Right. Yeah. It's going to be a plain, 
it's going to be a plain white swatch of some arbitrary player that if it's a hockey card, it's a fourth liner. If it's a baseball card, it's a, you know, bullpen pitcher that nobody cares about or, mm-hmm. you know, some, you know, pinch hitter guy mm-hmm. or a rookie that will never make the bigs. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's dumb stuff like that, but I don't know. I th- it's dumb but it is what it is i guess so last week we debuted the puck junk listener mailbag and we had a bunch of questions that we answered and again i want to thank everybody who submitted a question uh this week we got one question that we held over from last week and we got a uh uh, two other questions from this week do you want to uh which one you want to do first should we do the one from last week Sure, we could do that one. All right, so at Eldon KR asks, what advice would you have for a newbie collector? Any pitfalls to avoid? You want me to go first? Sure, why not? I have one rule. One okay. rule and one rule only. And then a bunch of little smaller rules that are like indented, like an outline. But that main rule right off the bat is collect what you like. Right? Collect what you like. Collect what's fun. Collect whatever the bleep you want. Because there is no better part of this hobby than being able to go back and look at your collection and actually feel satisfied and be happy about it. So if you're just getting into collecting and you're just starting a collection and you just want to, you know, you're not sure what to do, you're not sure. Who's your favorite player? Who's your favorite team? You know, what? what's your favorite sport? Narrow it down like that. You know, if you're going to be a hockey collector, okay, you can't collect everything. It's impossible. So who's your favorite team? Well, let's narrow it down to that. Who's your favorite player? Let's narrow it down to that. Do, do you like just rookies? Do you like just defensemen? Do you like just guys born on June 10th? I mean, that come up with something that, actually makes you happy and is is enjoyable for you and then everything else will fall into place because the one thing you want to avoid talking about pitfalls is you don't want to fall in that thing that a lot of collectors i think do at times and that's to to use a drug term chasing the dragon Mm -hmm. that's is what i call it and essentially you look around and you're like, holy cow, Leon Dreisaitl is like the hottest player in hockey right now. And he's blowing up and he's scoring like crazy. And now people are saying he's going to win the Hart Trophy. I should collect his cards. Mm-hmm. Do you like him? Do you like watching him? Are you an Oilers fan? Are you, I mean, you know, don't jump into these like trends and things just because it seems like that's what there is to do. I mean, unless you're truly going to be an investor and not a collector, there's no reason to do that. Collecting is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And, you know, if you want to enjoy it and you want to make it a lifetime thing, that's what you got to do. Find what you like and stick with that. So when I started collecting hockey cards around 30 years ago, I was trying to collect everything because that was back when you could collect everything. There was a top set. There was an OPG set. There were maybe some sticker inserts. There was maybe a Panini set. There were like the fun one-off type of sets, like the 
SO All-Star or Craft or whatever um, that uh, you could you could get, right? Um, obviously, that became a lot harder with many sets coming out and young guns. I could never then, find the SO sets. Well, I'm talking about the 88-89 set, which is like way, way overproduced. The ones oh. that have the... Uh, the um, they're like stamp, like old stamps. You have to moisten the back of them to stick them into the book. Oh, they're like white on the bottom with a fake signature yeah. and the picture above. Okay. Yeah, they're like standard. They're like the height of a standard card, but they're skinnier. Skinnier, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you could go on eBay and find like people selling like a hundred packs. You know, like a lot of a hundred packs or something. I mean, it's just there's still a lot of them out there. Um, it, but um, what? My advice is uh, for a newbie collector. Um, so two things is I think one is, you know, and this can always change because that figuring out what you like to collect. Some people only collect their favorite team. Some people only collect their favorite players. Me, I do collect Blackhawk cards and I do collect um, certain players, but I really like just building sets. So the way I see it is if I complete a 2019-2020 upper deck, set i already got all the blackhawks in it and that set's going to have my favorite players in it right my favorite current players if it's a complete set you know for the most part um as far as pitfalls to avoid the thing is is you can't collect everything and so what i have to constantly do or not constantly but once in a while i have to kind of um remind myself what i don't collect so I'll give you a for instance. I like hockey cards. I see a hockey card. You do? I love them, right? So I see a hockey card from 1963, right? And I go, I want that card. I need that card. I'm going to buy that card, right? But if I see a hockey puck from 1963, so let's say the hockey card is 100 bucks because it's like a parky card from 63. And let's say the hockey puck is 100 bucks because it's like, an old vintage Toronto Maple Leafs puck. Okay, it'd be more than a hundred bucks, but we'll just say, let's say both things are a hundred bucks. Now I'd look at the old puck and I go, man, that is cool. That is a piece of hockey history. Look at how the logo was different. Look at how this, that, and the other thing. But the thing is, is that I tell myself, I don't collect pucks. So I would not buy that. Or like certain things. I don't collect game worn jerseys i'm not talking about like a one-off uh i'm talking about just like as a habit so like do i buy pucks yeah once in a while i will buy a commemorative puck you know when the blackhawks had their stanley cup championship i bought like a commemorative puck from that uh if i see like an old all-star puck and it's a couple of dollars yeah i'll buy that but what i'm not going to do is i'm not going to like dedicate a lot of time money and space to collecting pucks because that's not what I'm passionate about. I like hockey and I want to collect all the hockey things. I mean, those McFarlane figures, I have a lot of them. I don't have every single one because I told myself if I was going to chase down every single one with all the variants and whatnot, it was going to be a lot of money. And at the end of the day, I'd rather have cards than hockey figures. But if I'm at a show, you know, some guy has, uh, McFarland figures marked down to five bucks each and I see one that I want yeah I'll buy it you know I mean it's it's okay to 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 flex a little and be open but I mean I think it's just good to at least give yourself some boundaries 
Um, because I remember in the 90s, I was just like, I'm going to collect everything hockey. I'm going to collect all the pucks of every team, and I'm going to try to collect all the old pucks of old teams, and I'm going to collect all the magazines that I see, and I'm going to collect all the uh, hockey starting lineups, and I'm going to collect all the hockey cards. And it just it, it becomes overwhelming. It's so easy to just get overwhelmed by the sheer amount of stuff that's out there. So I think giving yourself some boundaries, once you figure out what those boundaries are. I mean, I bought maybe a dozen pucks thinking I was going to like collect pucks. And I'm like, man, A, these things are expensive. B, they take up a lot of room. And C, I'm just not into them. Like, it's it's cool. But I think I'm, again, what at the end of the day, what makes me happier is like trading cards. So that's my advice on that topic. And that's, that is good advice. Both of those, I think both of what we said kind of go together. Oh, absolutely. You know? Collect, um, focus on what you like and, you know, you can't collect it all. So just make, have fun with it. You yeah. just got to have fun with it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's okay to break a rule once in a while. Like if a game worn sweater came along and A, it was a player that I liked and B, it was something that I could afford. Yeah. I would probably think hard and buy it, but I wouldn't, I don't want to make, I wouldn't want to like say, okay, now I'm going to collect game-worn sweaters of every Hall of Fame player. Because one, I don't have that kind of money. And two, I don't, I just, I wouldn't be that into it. You know what I mean? Like, would it be cool to have? Yes, absolutely. But again, like I said, thinking about what I'm really excited about, I'm maybe not as excited about that as I am other things. Well, and the practicality of it's kind of ridiculous too. Imagine how many jerseys you'd have sitting around. Oh yeah, that's, uh, that's that's a that's a lot of jerseys. And I mean, from a card standpoint, I did the same thing when I was younger too. You know, oh yeah, I started collecting. I collected every sport. Mm-hmm. I was I collected baseball, basketball, football, hockey, and you know, I even had some wrestling cards. There and were less sports to collect then, or less sorry, less were, cards. Yeah, there were less less cards, but at the same time, you start to amass large quantities, mm-hmm. and very large quantities and it's like what what is the point of this and you know i've consolidated over the years and cut back but you know i'm a set builder just like you are so it's hard to say focus on what you like and only stick with that when you're a set builder and and the whole idea of building a set is you have to have everything Mm -hmm. right so you know if you're going to go down that path and be the set builder take take the steps necessary to not let it get out of control Mm-hmm. I think you and I are probably bad examples for that because we're both collecting like thousands of sets all at the same time. <laughs> and we have one list that go on for days. Yes. But, you know, that's years and years and years of accumulating and collecting put mm-hmm. together. I would definitely not recommend somebody to be like, I'm going to be a set collector. So here's every release that's coming out in 1920. And I'm going to write down the checklist of every set and go after all of it. Definitely don't do that. That's insane. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, uh, over time, as I've finished certain sets, then I start looking backwards and I say, okay, you know, I got all the OPG cards from 73 and up. So now I move back a couple years. And then, you know, I started picking up enough Parkhurst cards from the 50s and 60s where I would just randomly pick up 
some cards inexpensively and it would get to the point where I'd be like, okay, well now it's time for me to figure out which ones I actually need for a set. Yeah. I did that with some of my 70 sets. It's like I was putting them together, but I didn't really have enough to justify listing out a checklist Mm -hmm. and having it still have, you know, 150 of the 165 numbers or whatever were right. So, but, uh, yeah. So, yeah. So how about about our next question here? So, uh, Chris party Oh seven or at, sorry. Uh, yeah. Uh, at Chris party Oh seven asks, how can upper deck better promote new products? It seems like hockey, the hockey community is less accepting of innovation slash Chrome than the other sports. Yeah. And, and he goes on to bring up an example of, um, how the new upper deck allure is very similar to um, select in Panini uh, across the football and basketball sports. Mm-hmm. And kind of brings up the fact that, well, allure is not very popular. Mm-hmm. Well, I could say to, to that point, Allure is brand new, and we talked about this on the last show or the show before. This is a brand new product. It's never been out before. It's a new branding name. People aren't familiar with it. They're really not sure about it. And from the looks of things, what's been hitting the secondary market, I think it's doing okay. Um, I think as more of it gets broken in a lot of the breaker um, called. The, the, the breaker society and mm-hmm. more of it starts hitting, you're going to start to see some of those bigger hits hit the market. And I think those will draw a lot more attention and bring more attention to it. I think as the season starts to wind down, you'll see some of these rookies take their place on the uh, top, top list and people will definitely be chasing the rookies in that set. Mm-hmm. But to his first point, my opinion, I think upper deck does a really good job of promoting their products and I'm yes. not saying I'm not saying that because I'm expecting, you know, Upper Deck to come and, you know, pay for my mortgage on my house for a month at, for an endorsement. I'm saying that because since Upper Deck is the only licensed NHL trading card manufacturer, they have done what I think they needed to do, and that's get out ahead of social media, whether it be on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, get it out there, talk about their product, respond to customers, respond to customers' concerns, and interact with people. They've done a really good job of doing that. Um, I don't necessarily think that the other major companies do Leaf's pretty good about interacting, but we've we've discussed some of those issues with Leaf before. Mm-hmm. But and not that not every company doesn't have their detractors because they all do. I mean, Upper Deck gets slammed all the time by tons of people. Granted, most of them aren't hockey collectors, mm-hmm. but you know, hockey collectors are kind of a they're an interesting bunch. I think for the most part, when you get a group of them together, it's like. They like what they like, 
They're very loyal to the product. They're very loyal to their brands. And they're very loyal to the collection that they're trying to build. And they kind of stick with that. So, mm-hmm. you know, flagship series one, series two, you know, people know that they've seen it for years. They know what it looked like. They know what to expect. They know what they're going to get out of it. Um, you know, opeachy has been out long enough that everybody knows that's the big, huge set. If you're a set builder and that's the one you want to have fun with, you go after it. The parallels in there are great. There's tons of rookies, you know. Everybody knows MVP has the redemptions in it. Everybody knows Artifacts has a bunch of, you know, jersey cards and stuff like People get used to that. So when a new product hits the market, you're just like, oh, what's this? How is this different? What's it going to be? You know, is this, this, and this. You want Prism, you want, or you want, a, you want Chrome, there's Opeachy Chrome. If you want more Chrome, there's the parallels that are in the mm-hmm. Opeachy base set. Um, if you want, you know, Allure is kind of a Chromium type product. Um, you know, they've tried it in, in, tight, in, um, in Trilogy before with kind of a Chromish type finish. Um, you know, I, I think they do a pretty good job of it. You know, so, they're at all the events, they're at all the things, you know, they do the hockey card day, they do promotions for stores. They, they, they do a lot of that kind of stuff. So I think they're, they do a, a fairly decent job for it. I think it's just the hockey market and hockey collectors in general are, I don't want to say they're set in their ways necessarily, but, it's a different breed, I think. It really is. So one thing. Um, so so uh, the the guy who asked that question. Uh, so he had a follow up, and he said, "I'm not talking about UD in general, but since 1516, they've launched a bunch of new products that seem not to be embraced by the collectors. Contours, Champs, Synergy, Full Force Fusion, SPX Overhaul, Black Merged In, Chronology, Clear Cut, Allure. So." I want to address that a little bit because as I was reading that list originally uh, from his tweet, I was thinking that like this kind of brings up one of my earlier complaints and this doesn't have to do so much with upper deck promoting or lack of promoting, but maybe it has to do with lack of collectors embracing. I find a lot of the sets look the same and I think that's what really turns me off. I mean, I think we like champ. We talked about how we like champs because it looked different. We like certain sets because they have a look to them that we like. Um, but some of those that he's listing are unique. Synergy yeah, doesn't look like anything else. But Synergy, I, I'm not a big fan of Synergy, but it doesn't look like anything else. I know, it's got but part it acetate, part not acetate, see-through cards. You know, Champs doesn't look like everything else. Um, no, but like I look at like Full Force and I wanted that to be like Full Force. Well, we talked force, about that last week. Full Force we was kind of garbage. It was kind of garbage, but I wanted it to be like a 90s throwback kind of set, and it wasn't. And like I looked at the base cards the other day because I I have a full base set, and I looked at them, and they just kind of look like, you know, if you change the Full Force Force logo to a Fleer Ultra logo, it'd be a Fleer Ultra card, right? They're really Um, they were they weren't anything. Full Force wasn't anything special. I'll get I'll give you that. Right. So, I mean, okay, so, okay, big deal. So, Synergy uses... It never came back either, nah. by the way. So, nah. Um, I guess they the right to bring it back at any given time. Well, but a lot of those cards, though, I mean, they're kind of like the same. They're like, the designs are different, but they're more or less the same. 
Like, kind of. high gloss front, high gloss back, five years of stats, some obligatory foil stamping. Okay, maybe you have something like Champs where you go, okay, well, Champs doesn't have foil stamping and it's got plain fronts, no gloss. Okay, well, that's that's Champs, right? And then you go, okay, well, Peachy doesn't have that either. All right, you know, but like, as far as like a Black Diamond card, a Fleer Ultra card, um, an SPX card, um, well, no, Black Diamond, at least for the longest time, they're like the, the foil cards. They were. They had the foil, and they had that. It was. It looked like Dufax. Yeah, but, I mean, but it wasn't. I guess that's copyrighted, so you can't call it that. But it was a little bit more. I mean, in the '90s, when you said like, okay, you had your tops hockey cards that were just kind of like low end, and then you had your stadium club cards, which were like glossy, full color, both sides. And now we kind of expect that of all cards. So maybe it's kind of harder to raise the bar. Um, but yeah, I think that's the thing is that there's really no difference to me. Like maybe the, the sets look different, but it doesn't really fulfill a different role so much. Yeah. And it kind of goes back to the whole collecting thing. You know, you collect what you like. So, you know, collectors that are out there that are team collectors are going to go after their teams, regardless of what's out there. They, if you're a player collector, you're going to try to get all of the cards of that player. So if they're in sets that you may not normally buy, you'll at least go after those players. You know, a lot of these sets we're talking are 100 card base sets mm-hmm. or 150, 200 max in some cases. Set builders aren't going to go after those necessarily. They aren't going to be ones that are a challenge. So... So you alienate that group. If you don't have a specific player in it, you alienate those player collectors. If you don't have a whole big selection of players from other teams, you'd eliminate those team collectors. So now you're down to just the people that are going after, what, the hits? Mm-hmm. And generally those 100-card base sets are the higher-end product. Mm-hmm. Right? So those are geared towards the hits. And so when you get into the hit chasing, now what are you looking at? Well, you're looking, you're, you've gone away from the collector back to the investor. You know, the person that goes to the hobby shop, opens up a box of cards, takes the hits and leaves all the base cards there. You know, you, you run into those kinds of things. So, but again, I go just go back to, you know, hockey collectors, I think, are a different breed. You know, especially when you look at the market today. Mm-hmm. You know, basketball's huge. Huge. And card prices fluctuate on a daily basis based off of individual player performance. Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily see that in hockey. You see it in baseball. You see it in basketball. You even see it in football. You know, if a running back goes off for 150 yards, all of a sudden Monday morning, hop onto eBay, hop onto COMC, it, the card prices went up. You will see them go up. You don't really see that too much in hockey. You get that with the rookies, but you don't get that with most of the other players. Okay. So uh, one other question that we got. um, Chris Manuel asks, uh, what is your one PC never ever trade card 
Mine is a 5152 Parkhurst Bill Barilco card. So I think, you know, when I was younger, I'd be like, oh, I would never trade these cards. And I think once you've seen things enough times, you know that if you get rid of a card, you can always buy it again. But I think he's talking about maybe something that I have sentimental attachment to. So I have two cards that come to mind for me. One is um, my 6970 Tony Esposito rookie card. I actually have two of that card. But the one that I bought with my own money when I was 15, and I, I called like every card shop in Canada that I could find a phone number to and called up and asked them if they had a Tony Esposito rookie card. And I probably spent $30 in long-distance phone calls calling all these card shops, found a card shop that had it, bought it, um, forgot what I paid for it. It was over $100. And, uh, I mean, it was, it, it's, 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 you know, I mean, I think it has a stain on the back, which he didn't disclose, but I didn't care. I was just so happy to have this card. So, uh, to me, that's one that I feel really sentimental to. And then the other one is the Ken Dryden that my grandmother gave me for Christmas of, uh, I think it was Christmas of 93. Uh, it could have been 94, but, um, that's the other, uh, card that I, I don't think I would trade either of those. And you know what? They're not really cards that like are hard to find. So I don't think somebody would say to me, no, I must absolutely have that Tony Esposito rookie card in your possession because you could just find one on eBay that's probably in nicer shape and same with the Ken Dryden but like I said most of these things I mean unless you have like a 1911 George Vezina rookie card I mean most of these cards you can find again even a Gretzky rookie you couldn't find Gretzky rookies you'll pay for it but they're not at all hard to find heck so, no that's kind look of my the, uh, look at the top 100 most watched ebay auctions right now and about mm -hmm. 65 of them are the gretzky rookie yeah and so, it's the most graded uh most graded hockey card the uh if, if i was to go on the same lines if we're sticking with uh specific hockey cards and i know everybody's expecting me to say oh mario lemieux rookie yes i would not get rid of that but i'm not going to go with that choice okay I got three packs of OPG Premier back in 1991. Mm -hmm. And when I opened them, there was a Yager rookie. And I still have it today in the same case I put it in back then which was one of those fat screw down cases mm -hmm. and it's still in there. And I will keep that card forever because that was like the card to have back then. <laughs> and at one, at one time there were dealers selling that card for 150 bucks. And I thought I have that card and I thought I was the coolest kid on the block, but so that, that would be one. I also don't couldn't ever see I don't I don't think I could see myself getting rid of my Dryden rookie just like you said Dryden too mm -hmm. uh, because that card is it's such an iconic card you know it's it's you know like the only card where 
it's an action shot of the player out of that mm-hmm. whole entire set. It just looks, it's just cool. It's an iconic card. I think those would be, those would be my non-Mario Lemieux rookie two choices of ones that I would never get rid of. Yeah. All right. Those are, those are both really good, uh, really good cards. So segueing over, um, because, uh, speaking of rookie cards, so, um, Wait, David not to Ayer- beat a dead horse, but you did say, what, what was his, what was his one? His, 51, he- 52, uh, Bill Barilko Parker's card. Uh, okay. Bash and Bill. Bash and Bill. Yeah. Um, he's an interesting story. He is. If, if, uh, anybody out there listening doesn't know the Bill Barilko story, look it up. Don't go to Wikipedia and look it up. Just look him up and find his story. There's a tra- tragically hip song that was written about him. Yes. More specifically about his 9192 Parkhurst card that uses the same photo as the 5152 Parkhurst card. Sorry, 9192 Pro Set card that uses the same photo as the 5152 Parkhurst card. Though the Parkhurst card is colorized and the Pro Set card is sepia toned. So, um, David Ayers, E-Bug Sensation, is getting speaking of de- Speaking of beating a dead horse. <laughs> oh, hey now. Uh, his, isn't his, aren't his 15 minutes up yet? Yeah, well, I haven't seen him on the news or on talk shows lately. Yeah. So you, you, that's what you got to do. You got to be like, you got you to gotta make the most of it when you can. You can't be like Homer Simpson who bowls that perfect game and then just wants to be everywhere all the time, if you remember that episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So um, everybody said, hey, is he going to get a hockey card? And last week we were like, yeah, he'll maybe he'll be in a game dated moments card. Maybe he'll get a young gun. Maybe he'll get a top sticker. Um, so he's definitely getting a game dated moments card. And so in order to do that upper deck, well, they got to do two things. One, you got to get clearance from the league and two uh and you got to get clearance from the players. Now, since they have a players association license, every time they make a Sidney Crosby card, they don't have to ask Sidney Crosby for permission. They just make a Sidney Crosby card because they have a players association license because David Ayers is not a member of the players association. They needed to get his permission to make a card of him. And he said, yes, maybe he said, hell yes. I think most of us are saying hell yes. So, um, this week he had a card in game dated moments. Um, and then in middle of May, SP authentic will come out and SP authentic always has as inserts. Um, they call it upper deck final update where it's like the last 30 or 40 cards that go after upper deck series two that include, um, traded players, maybe players who were overlooked that really should have been in the set. Um, uh, young guns, and then sometimes some uh, all-star type cards or season highlight type cards. So he'll be in that set. That's going to be harder to come by because, I mean, your odds of pulling a young gun in a box of SP Authentic, we're talking, what, like maybe one? Yeah, I don't know what the, I don't know what the collation is going to be on that. So um, what I did was because he was also in game-dated moments, I'm like, all right, well, this card I can definitely get. You know, you got to buy it, 
but it's a card that you can get. You know, you just, um, you know, it's funny because uh, earlier this week I put up an article how to get a David Ayers rookie card, and then I put that on Facebook, and then somebody was like, you know, I really wanted to buy this card, and I couldn't figure out the whole EPAC thing, so thank you for breaking it down step by step. And it, it was like, call me old-fashioned, but I remember when you could just buy cards. And I thought about it, and I'm like, yeah, in order to buy this David Ayers card, one, you need an EPAC account. Okay, fine. You need to buy a different pack of cards. Then you need to buy that pack of cards that has his card in it. Then you need to have a COMC account. Then you need to link the accounts. Then you need to transfer the card. Then you need to pay to have the card shipped to you. If you think about it, that is a lot of steps to get one card, especially if you're not like really a hockey collector. I mean, like with Tops Now, if they made a baseball card of a certain player and I wanted that Tops Now card, I could just go to Tops, buy it, and be done with it. I don't have to like, well, I mean, you got to sign up for an account, but it's not like, oh, and then you need a COMC account to send it to you and you need to link the accounts and you got to do all this jujitsu just to get this hockey card. So EPAC doesn't ship direct anymore? It's only through COMC? I never knew them to ship direct. I thought you could either choose to have your card sent directly to you or to send to your COMC account. Oh, well, that... no, don't I don't I feel stupid? Well, I don't, um, I don't know if that's the case or not. I thought it was, but hmm. maybe I'm wrong. I thought I read something that Upper Deck was no longer handling fulfillment. But then again... Um, I could be wrong on that. So if I am, I'm sorry um, <laughs> to anybody who trans is going to transfer that card to COMC. Um, I like the fact that he's in game dated moments because that was a big story. And that's what game dated moments should be. It should be the biggest stories of each week. So I like the fact that that was in there. If that wasn't in there, if airs um, heroics, his e-bug heroics were not in that set, I think that would be, That'd be a, that'd be a that'd be a loss. However, I don't know if I'd like his card being this like legit rookie card in upper deck update. I kind of like what they did with the George Alves cards or the gritty cards where they made young guns, but they sent them to retailers and you could get them that way because in that way it's not part of a set. And I almost feel that like the supply of those will meet the demand. And I feel that like this card that's going to be an SP authentic is going to be a lot harder to come by. And I feel like that the, the price of that card is going to be ridiculous for all the wrong reasons. Um, it'll definitely be garnering more of a premium. I mean, once, once they start to hit secondary market, I don't know that it'll drive box prices up necessarily. No. But it'll that'll be left to be seen. I mean, SP's already a higher it's a mid-range product. I don't want to say a high-end product. I mean, it's a mid-range product. It's like 100 so, bucks a box. Yeah, it's about 100 bucks a box. So, but you're right, they will be short printed. The Upper Deck updates series are always short printed in those. So, you're not going to get many in a box and it's going to be the let's face it, it's going to be the case breakers that unearth the majority of them. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. It'll be interesting. 
All right, so let's go back in time 25 years. Let's go back a little bit further. Let's go. Right. Okay. So um, it's 1994. The Rangers win the Stanley Cup. Hockey is doing pretty good for itself. Uh, a couple years after Gary Bettman takes over as commissioner, uh, I would say that the Rangers winning the Cup was a great story because it's, you know, your biggest market in the United States. So all eyes are on hockey, or at least a lot more eyes are on hockey. I remember Conan O'Brien had this uh, recurring character called the Dancing Stanley Cup. I don't know if you remember that or not. Did you watch Conan O'Brien back in the day? No, I didn't. Okay. I didn't. I didn't find the genius of Conan O'Brien other than a, as a writer on The Simpsons until way later. Okay, so yeah, so I I got him right away. I thought he was hilarious. I used to watch his show every night, and he used to just have like these weird characters on his show, like Triumph, the comic insult dog. You know, sure. Triumph. Yeah, and, everybody knows uh, Triumph. The Pimp Bot, the Pimp Bot Five Thousand. And another character that he had was the dancing Stanley Cup, which was just a Stanley Cup on legs that would just dance around while the band played We Are the Champions, um, which nice. was funny, right? So, um, and then when the Devils won the next year, the Stan dancing Stanley Cup came back to, you know, dance around because, you know, New Jersey's really close. Um, but then we have the lockout, October 1, 1994. And so it's like a hundred and something day lockout. They finally start the season. I'll say it was like January and end of January. And a couple of things happen. Uh, the season is shortened from 84 games to 48 games. They get rid of the all-star game. And they also drop what were called neutral site games, which was holding NHL games in cities that didn't have an NHL team to try to build interest in those cities and then also to kind of gauge and see if, you know, maybe that would work as an expansion market. So, I mean, and there were other things, you know, other effects too, but uh, then there was also the whole hockey card thing, because what happened was, was that there was uh, a lockout retailers, especially like card shops were not really, um, they didn't want to spend a lot of money on hockey cards because hockey wasn't on tv so they weren't gonna like go and spend you know like stock all this hockey product so that had an effect on the companies uh and then there were some other effects that we'll talk about once the the strike was lifted so what do you remember about that because I, I know you talked about that before when i wrote an article about this many years for beckett many years ago for beckett and uh you were one of the people i quoted in that article i was you were what did i say uh, you talked about how you couldn't find hockey cards and you were like only an hour away from Chicago and yet you could not find hockey cards that like none of the retailers around you were really carrying them. Yeah, there there was nothing. I mean, there was absolutely nothing. It was almost like hockey didn't exist in Chicago, which I'm sure you witnessed that as well. Um <laughs> You know, that, that whole time frame, and you're right, there was a lot of momentum. A lot more people were paying attention to hockey. It was an exciting game. It opened up a whole new world for a lot of people. And it started bringing people over from other sports, mm -hmm. you know. 
hockey was actually I remember seeing something about hockey potentially taking over the number three spot from basketball uh, as far as popularity wise. And so, you know, the, the whole lockout just brought that whole entire vision of the future to a screeching halt um, and, you know, kind of pushed the NHL backwards when it came to that popularity thing. And, you know, from a card standpoint, I don't remember, at least until a couple years later from there, I don't remember a whole lot of a whole lot of anything out there that you could buy. I mean, so that was a time frame where there were still a lot of card shops around. So in Chicago that year, 94, 95, I would have probably bought the majority of my cards from uh, the local Jewel Osco. Jewel's a grocery store, Osco's a drugstore, and those two are like usually, if there's a Jewel, there's usually an adjoining Osco. And so Osco, the Osco by my house used to carry lots of cards. So I do remember buying Score that year. I do remind, remember buying Upper Deck that year. Um, I, I would have to go out of my way to go to a shop, and I didn't really have any incentive to. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, other people talked about, uh, especially back in the day, they talked about like card shops, just not, you know, they, they bought, bought a box of score. Nobody's buying the cards. So they just sit there on the shelf. So they're not reordering. You know what I mean? They're not, they're not buying the cards. Yeah. Um, that's the thing. You know, so distributors have product available from the manufacturers and if they can't get rid of them, then. Then what, you know? So, so like one thing, so like a couple of, I got some, uh, some, some funny things here. Um, so one is that, um, originally so for 93, 94, let me think about this for a second for 93, 94 card companies were cut back to two sets each because in the prior year you had right. like, Tops was making Tops and Stadium Club and Bowman and OPG was making OPG and OPG Premier and you know and, and some of them were at like two sets anyway. Um, but you know, so that that 93 94 season, that's when Bowman got dropped um as as a set. Um and what happened was in 94 95, it started out where companies were only gonna make two sets each. Well then one of the things that they negotiated. So just an FYI, the 93-94 season, the players were actually playing without a collective bargaining agreement. And they were doing that in good faith because after they did the strike in 91-92, they did sign a bargaining agreement with the league that was retroactive to the start of 91-92 and 92-93. So those two seasons were covered. 93-94, they were supposed to work out an agreement. They didn't do it. 94-95, rolled around the players were going to play i mean i remember full page ads in the chicago sometimes in the chicago tribunes from the players association saying we were prepared to play this season and continue to negotiate in good faith with the national hockey league and it was the nhl who locked us out so i mean the nhl I mean, and that I'm had sure. to be made abundantly clear too because people the fan the few fans that were around that you could find were 
pretty peeved off at the players. Yes, and, and so they had to make that it was clear. The image control. Um, but another thing that happened that season that was the first year of the NHL's contract with Fox. Do you remember the NHL on Fox? Um, oh, how could I forget? It's a beautiful thing. I didn't mind. Uh, you know what? I didn't mind Fox's coverage at all. I thought Loved the coverage it. was good. Loved it. But the answers were good. I thought all of that was good. What I didn't they, like is when they tried to, you know, hey, look, let's put this glowing. Hey. Freaking. Just stop it right there. Yeah. As okay. any old check would say, just stop it right there. I know where you're going with this. I don't like. Hey, you know they're they're gonna they're gonna start using puck tracking technology. They yes, about but it's not gonna be the glow puck. No, I know. If you watch the All Star game, it's gonna be what they did with that, which I didn't like either, where they started popping up stats and all kinds of craziness all over the screen, where you could follow the players around and see how fast they were going and all this kind of stuff. They got to get people to look up from their iPhones somehow, and that's how they're going to do it. Well, they're trying to get advanced analytics and dig even deeper into the game, and, and that's fine. I, I think that it was funny. There was a whole conversation on NHL Network Radio, not to get off the subject. No, but, I saw that too, yeah. Uh, on, on, um, on NHL Radio today, <laughs> there must have been it must have been an hour-long conversation about how the puck is going to cost more than the regular puck. It somewhat feels a little differently according to certain players. And what's going to happen if a puck goes into the crowd? Does, does the crowd get to keep the puck, even though it costs more money? Or do they have to give it back? And I'm like, why are we even having this conversation? Now, they said they tested that puck a few times in some oh, games Oh, more than a few. They've season. been tested it for quite a while. And they didn't tell the players, and nobody said anything. Well, apparently there's a story going around, and nobody knows who it exactly is, but there's a goalie with a superstition that uh, every time they go before they give the puck back to the referee after they catch it, they flip it. So they flip it over to the side that has the logo. Mm-hmm. And when they were using one, there's no logos on them mm-hmm. because they're, you know, for experiment. And he flipped the puck and kept flipping it, and there was no logo on either side. And so that's what tipped them off that something's not right because this isn't a normal puck. And But Batman even said they've been using it for months. And, you know, they randomly put it into games, and it's worked out really well. So it's been tested, so... So getting back to the 94-95 season. No globe puck. They, the NHL had a national television contract worked out with Fox, which means that the NHL games were on free TV. I mean, before that, it was ESPN. Before that, it was Sports Channel America. Before that, it was ESPN. And before that, it was USA. So, I mean, the NHL had been buried on cable for a long time. So the fact that people could watch a hockey game on a Saturday without cable was great. So they had this big, they had this big contract lined up, but then they have the strike, you know? So that, that was also a buzzkill. Cause like we said, things were on the up and up with the Rangers winning the cup with a lot of attention being drawn to hockey. And then with this big uh, television contract with Fox in the United States. Uh, and then uh, yeah. And then the lockout. So, um, so the first, the first bad thing about the lockout is that, uh, there were some casualties. There were some canceled sets. Now, 
the card companies were told, hey, you could do another set. You could do a pricey premium set because uh, that's what the players wanted. Because the players were like, well, this sucks. We're only getting, you're only allowing each company to make two sets a year. Look at what Tops is doing. Look at what Score is doing with baseball, right? Look at what's being done with baseball and football. There are tons of sets for those sports that one company will put out. We want that for hockey. We don't want Tops to just be limited to one two sets why can't we have a finest set that's 399 a pack why can't we have a premium high-end upper deck set etc etc so i mean this paved the way for something like the cup baby steps but i mean you got to go to a five dollar pack of cards you know from a one dollar pack to a five dollar pack before you could go to a five hundred dollar pack so there were sets that were that made their debut and we'll talk about those, but as a result, there were some casualties. Tops decided to cancel Tops Stadium Club Series 2 because they wanted to put more focus on the Tops Finest set that was coming out that set. And uh, Stadium Club had an insert set called Dynasty and Destiny. There was cards 1 through 5 in Series 1, but on the back they said 1 of 10, 2 of 10, 3 of 10, 4 of 10, 5 of 10. And then people will be like, I can't find cards 6 of 10, 7 of 10, all the way through 10 of 10. It's like, well, they don't exist. So that was a casualty. Score Series 2 didn't come out because Score wanted to put their um, focus on uh, their, their high-end set that they put out, the Pinnacle Select set. So series Score Series 2 got canceled, meaning that the Score set doesn't have cards of Wayne Gretzky, Patrick Waugh, or Martin Brodeur because they were going to be in Series 2. But oops, Series 2 never came out. So Score Series 1 is like one of those sets that you can like, you almost can't give it away because it doesn't have enough. It has some stars in it, but it's like a Series 1 without a Series 2. And there's no like, there's no Gretzky in it. And then Parkhurst Series 2, this is actually a pretty funny story. Uh, funny, maybe not haha funny. Um, Park Upper Deck came out with Parkhurst Series 1. That was an agreement between Upper Deck and Parkhurst Products, which was at the time owned by Dr. Brian Price, who then went on to own In the Game Trading Cards, who now owns President's Choice Trading Cards. So uh, he had the Parkhurst name. His company was called Parkhurst Products, and he had a sub-license with Upper Deck, where he had the rights to the Parkhurst name. So they basically made the cards for him and and distributed and shipped them and it was a, it was a partnership right so what happened was was that upper deck wanted to make their sp set as a standalone set so they took parkhurst series 2 they rebranded it as parkhurst se for special edition they sold those cards in europe and they're numbered se1 se2 se3 etc um but it is for all intents and purposes, the Parkhurst series two set from that year, but it was sold in Europe as Parkhurst SE. Um, notable cards in that set um, include uh, Daniel Briere and JS Jagir two years before they got cards in other sets. Um, and this actually resulted in a lawsuit between Parkhurst products owned by Dr. Price and upper deck because Upper Deck was contractually obliged to make a Parker Series 1 and a Parker Series 2. They didn't make a Series 2, and they were not allowed to ship 
the cards over to Europe. That was going to be some different sort of, uh, I don't know, that might have been something that Dr. Price might have been working out separately, like how he would handle his European um, ventures there. So that actually resulted in a lawsuit, and Upper Deck had to pay Parker's product, uh, Parker's products money because they were in breach of contract. Yeah, and the, you know what those those SE cards they didn't look any different either because they were supposed to be part of series two. The only th- the only thing really I remember different about that set was wasn't the wasn't the whole back end of it like the um world junior yeah was it world juniors or was it canada cup or it was world no, juniors world juniors yeah that's how you had jaguar and uh, briere in that set because that was was that the first year that upper deck came out with uh or put the the label program of excellence or did they have that beforehand i can't I, I, remember honestly. i think that's the, i think that's the first time i remember seeing it on a card because that's been recycled years and years and years since then um so the the yeah so the sc cards were were in in for all intents and purposes they were parker series two but they were marketed as parker special edition they were sold in europe they were sold in like finland and sweden i actually have a promo card for parker's se that's written in finnish and swedish um i'll, I'll put a link to it um in in the show notes um, because it talks about this exciting new set um, by Upper Deck featuring your favorite NHL players. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's no overlap between Parker's Series 1 and Parkhurst SE. I mean, anybody who didn't get a card in Series 1, um, like, uh, um, I can't remember like what players were not in Series 1 that should have been, but they were in Series 2. Or anybody who was traded and in a uniform, they were in Parkhurst uh, SE. Um, so yeah, so that was, uh, so let me ask a question here. Sure. Just cause you know more about this than I do. So, so Dr. Price owns the Parkhurst name. He did at the time or well, he yeah, leased so it. He had, I'm, I'm speaking right in that time frame. Okay. So, so he owns the name, but what was it? He didn't have the means to produce the set. And Upper Deck comes along and says, hey, if you let us use this name, we'll give you X amount of dollars and we'll produce this set. Is that how that worked? I don't know what the specifics was between them. But remember, the NHL and the NHLPA only gave so many card companies licenses at the time. Because if you think about it, there were companies making, um, you know, there was like, remember, wild card football cards? Oh, yeah. And do you remember like all of those companies that like, maybe throughout like promo cards of hockey cards that never actually got made into sets. Sure. So like action packed talk about action pack. Cause I got to actually bring them up cause they were a casualty of this lockout. But um, what happened was, was when Dr. Price originally got the Parkhurst name, he took it to pro set pro set made Parkhurst in 91, 92 and 92, 93 for 93, 94. There was no pro set. So he had the rights to Parkhurst, so he went over to Upper Deck because Upper Deck was only putting out one set a year, right? Like, right. so the two set limit didn't really affect them because they were only putting out one set. So if anything, they're just like, all right, well, we'll put out this other set. So it was an agreement that worked for both companies. They got the rights to make these uh, trading cards with this iconic name. And um, Dr. Price 
worked with the company who had the license because he didn't have the license, but he had the rights to use Parkhurst. So that's how that worked out, if that makes sense. Well, if you look at... So if you look at the Parkhurst and the Parkhurst SE cards from that year, mm-hmm. and we were talking, saying that um, the Parkhurst name was um, actually as um, Parkhurst Products, Inc., right? Yes. It says that on the card, but it also says printed by the Upper Deck Company. Yeah. But if, they... but if you look at the Parkhurst Tallboy retro set they made that year those don't say upper deck they just say parkhurst the parkhurst company i don't know what happened with that maybe they got their own license then because this was uh um because the previous license was breached i our previous agreement was breached i don't know i i i, I want to say that because upper there deck... were three parker sets that year the retro sets yeah and the third one oh. was the 6465 Tallboy set but because of the copy, if you look at the copyrights on the back, Upper Deck's on Series 1 and SE, they're not listed on the Tall Boys. Hmm. That's interesting. I'll have to find out about that. Maybe I'll reach out to Dr. Price. And I was going to say, we should see if we can get uh, Dr. Price to shed some light on that. Yeah, that would that would be good. Because, yeah, the Tall Boy set was, was pretty awesome. Um, another thing was that, uh, so Upper Deck was going to have a contest that year called You Crash the Game where you'd get a game card and maybe it would have Yarmir Yager on it. The game cards. And it would say Penguins versus Flyers, October 14th. If Yarmir Yager scores a goal, you can redeem this card for a complete set of you crash the game inserts, right? So what happened was, is they printed up all these cards and they put them in their sets. They put them in upper deck and whatnot. And um, free based off of game scheduled in the, released schedule for the season that came out in the middle of the summer. Right. So the season's canceled. So basically all of those games are null and void. So Upper Deck just basically said, okay, all the cards are winners. So there are a ton of 94, 95, you crash the game gold sets. I mean, you could get it for a couple of dollars because it, they just, they honored them all as winning cards. So, uh, I mean, they didn't, because all those games got canceled and or half the games got canceled and the other half got rescheduled, but all those game cards just didn't make sense anymore. So, you know, that was a big try, but you know, that, that could have been a really cool contest because then you would have been buying these cards and then you would have been like, Oh, cool. If this player scores this goal in this game, I can redeem this card for a prize. Right. So it kind of gets you, into that game, you know, you, you, you're excited about that. You want to see something happen. And, and that's, uh, that was another, uh, problem. It, it, it ruined that contest. Um, you know, another thing is, is that like score at the same time. So score was having its own promotion. So score back in 93, 94 series two, they did gold cards. And then in 94, 95 series one, they did gold cards. I want to say they were like one per pack. And if you collected a complete set of gold cards, not the checklists, just to play all the player cards from a set and you mailed them into score, they would mail you back a platinum team set. 
they would mail you back your gold team set and they would punch them. And they had a special punch that was like a lot of little dots in the shape of a triangle. It was supposed to be the pinnacle logo. And they would punch them in the lower left corner very consistently. So gold cards could be redeemed for platinum cards. And then you'd get the gold cards back that were punched. Now, the gold set, excuse me, the platinum sets, uh, according to Pinnacle Brands, they said that they weren't all redeemed. So we don't know if they just dumped them on the secondary market or if they threw them away. But when I first found a platinum set, I kind of went on this quest to get them all. And as far as I know, they made them for the teams, the NHL teams. They didn't make them for the World Juniors, and they didn't make them for the checklists because I found no platinum versions of the junior players or of the checklists. Um, but finding a platinum set, not impossible. You'll find them. Um, finding a gold set that's punched is kind of tough because not a lot of people did that. And especially with the teams that had a lot of cards, like the Red Wings, that's a set that um, you don't see um, too often sold, a platinum set. So that was another thing. It Score had this great idea for like, hey, let's get people to collect all the gold cards, and then they could mail them in and get a platinum set, right? And then that kind of fizzled as well. The only things I remember about the score set is I remember finding a couple of the Dream Team cards that were like those holograms Mm -hmm. at a card shop once, and the guy thought that they were worth millions and millions of dollars. Um, but I remember the boxes. They looked like Saved by the Bell. The boxes, the the card the boxes. Box de- yeah, the box design mm-hmm. they looked like Saved by the Bell. Interesting. Like the Saved by the Bell logo. Very '90s aesthetic. Oh yeah. All right. So earlier, I, I uh, mentioned the company Action Packed, which was known for its football cards, and they also made basketball cards. And their whole thing were. They were these puffy cards. They were like those puffy stickers from the 80s, but these were puffy cards from the 90s. Well, 89 and forward to about 96 or so. So, um, I don't know. Did you ever like that action pack aesthetic, or did you find it too much of a gimmick where you had like these kind of 3D puffy cards? I had a lot of them. I had a lot of the football at one time, but... They were weird. They were just weird because they were so thick. Mm-hmm. Couldn't really put them in anything, and they were kind of. I mean, they, it was like two cards pressed together. Mm-hmm. So many, many, many got damaged. Let's put mm-hmm. it that way. Yeah, and then they had that. Like a lot of them had like that gold foil. Yeah. At least the first year of football cards they did. Yeah, and I I had the the all Madden team set mm-hmm. that they had of those. And I think my Barry Sanders got destroyed somehow. I don't remember exactly. So Action Pact was originally going to make a set of Hockey Hall of Fame cards. And they finally got all of that ironed out um, late in the 93-94 season. Uh, they were originally going to put them out in the summer. And then they realized, no, putting out a set of hockey cards in the summer would be a bad idea. We're going to wait until fall of 94. Well, lo and behold, the strike, excuse me, the lockout happens and action pack action packed had to cancel that set. I don't, I don't know if they just canceled it or if 
retailers are just like, now nah, we're not going to buy it. And then they just said, all right, well, we're not going to print it. And then it just kind of died there. I don't know why they didn't try to solicit it a year later. Um, but then the other thing is, is that Action Pack had these other sets that they were going to put out. They weren't trading card sets. They were trading card-like things because they couldn't get the rights to make trading cards. So they got the rights to make other things. So one was a set of lapel pins called Badge of Honor. One was a set of gigantic trading cards that were 8 by 10 Those were called Mammoth. Um, One was a set called Big Picture, which was like a trading card, but it would unfold into a poster. And then my favorite was a set of collectible drink coasters called Co-Stars. Co-Stars! Yes, the Co-Stars. The Co-Stars, right, yeah. I mean, that one's got to be my favorite as far as, like, the bad ideas that um, never got made. The co-stars is it, it's up there, man. It's like I I I don't know if somebody was gonna really collect all ninety of them. Yeah, I probably would have tried, but um, I liked Action Packed. I was kind of excited that they were going to start making hockey collectibles, but yeah, that was another uh, casualty of the lockout was that nobody was ordering their product uh, because there was a lockout. So action-packed and uh uh the hall of fame set the co-stars big picture badge of honor and mammoth all got canceled yeah i don't know i yeah i know and the world's a better place because of it yeah i mean it's just it's just another one of those things of like the early to mid 90s just glut of what could we possibly throw a picture of a player on that people might buy, you know? And that's really, oh, that that could have been a good thing. (laughs) Yeah, that could have been a good thing. So another, another set though. uh, So, um, you know, the players, they like to get paid. They like money. Um, They like money from hockey cards. If there's no season and nobody's buying hockey cards, then they're not making money from hockey cards. So one thing that came out of this lockout was the Be A Player brand. And that was where the NHL players were like, well, hey, let's make hockey cards of us, but let's not involve the NHL in in this set of cards. So you get Be A Player, which um, there was a couple of things here. A lot to process. You had pictures of players in generic NHLPA jerseys. You had pictures of players in just regular clothes doing regular guy things like playing pool or playing soccer, I guess. Um, And then you had one autographed card per pack, which at the time was unprecedented. Um, They were like five or six bucks a pack, which was unprecedented heard of at the time i remember somebody telling me oh yeah be a player they're six bucks a pack but you get an autograph but i'm like but they're six bucks a pack like oh my god right now i mean i'd pay six bucks a pack to get a guaranteed autograph i'd pay 10 bucks a pack to get a guaranteed autograph so uh that was ahead of its time however i don't know i don't think that it's not necessarily a set that aged well yeah, and weren't there two Be A Player sets that came out that year? 
Yeah, there was the little set that was like a box set, and then there was like the bigger set that was in packs. Yeah, because I remember the smaller set, the cards looked more like, you know, posed photos from people's senior year pictures. Yeah, they were like glamour shots, black yeah. and white. Mm-hmm. You know, like real close-up shots of everybody with their, you know, fist under mm-hmm. their chin, looking off into the distance kind of thing. Yeah, I got but, one uh, on my desk somewhere that I, I got to put into pages. It's been on my list of well, cards I got to put away. Um, but yeah, I remember the this set actually at a card shop that I used to frequent that no longer exists. Mm-hmm. And I remember the cards being... I, I honestly think they were more than six bucks a pack. To be honest really? With you. Yeah, I don't think they had them priced like that. I think they were priced closer to $10 a pack. Mm-hmm. And that's insane. And I never bought any. But they had a few autographs in the in their case at mm-hmm. the time. Yeah, and I'm I'm looking at these cards right now and I mean it's like, okay, here's a close up of Eric Weinrich. Um, here's John Van Beesbrook wearing an NHLPA sweatshirt. Here's Nick Kiprios wearing an NHLPA jersey. Here is um, Gilbert Dion. Uh, looks like he is, I think he's holding, I don't know if he's golfing. He's just wearing like regular clothes. You know, there's Theron Fleury and uh, Todd Gill in NHLPA jerseys. I mean, he had the whole set in a binder. I have the whole set in the binder. Yeah. Go to like in the 100 sections where all the uh-huh. snapshots are. Okay. Well, I got to pass Bill Ranford playing pool and Steve Eiserman wearing the letter Letterman jacket with NHLPA on the back. You and... got to find, you got to find the Adam Graves card where he looks like some weird guy lurking in the shadows. All right. So there, we're going... it was part of like the snapshot subset. Okay. All right. Let's see. What do we got here? Yes. This that's actually called snapshots. Yeah. yeah. So Find the Adam Graves one. And there's Chelios looking very uh, glamorous. It reminds this. me of like a guy that's sitting in a booth and you can't see him, and then he leans forward into the the. Oh, dim Adam light. Graves. Yeah, you can only see like. Doesn't half it look like face. that? Yeah. <laughs> like 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 he was invisible, like the mobster who kind of leans forward. Yeah, he and like he leans sees- out of the shadow into the light. You're like, oh my god, it's Adam Graves. Are you an assassin? Right, yeah. And then it's got like cards of like the players as kids, which is actually kind of cool. I love these cards. Um, and it has some cards with text written by Dennis Leary, which are hilarious, but unfortunately they're written in like some sort of handwriting font, so they're very tedious to read. And then like cards of the players golfing. Oh, and then the Fanimation cards, where they're drawn as like superheroes. I don't remember the Dennis Leary ones. Yeah, he did. Uh, he wrote the backs of a few of the cards, and he had a card in the set as well. Um, that remember, was that was my him. motivation for bu- ultimately buying the set years later was because yeah. it had a Dennis Leary card, and he had written the card backs for some of the cards. I remember Dennis Leary being thrown into NH- some NHL promotions back in the day, and he was a big Boston Bruins fan. I'm mm-hmm. sure he still is, but. Mm-hmm. The, uh, yeah, for some reason, I don't remember those ones. I'm gonna have to look and see if I have any. Hmm. So, anyway, so yeah, so be a player, and then that 
for a little while, that was like the set that didn't need NHL licensing. And of course, the NHL hated it because here was a set of cards that the players made money on, but the league didn't make money on. And because the players were willing to sign cards um, that drove the price up, but that also made more money than like a 50 cent pack of cards or a dollar pack of cards. So it was, uh, I mean, that was also, a, that was a big game changer for a, a couple of reasons. Cause if you think about it, like inserts were either something really cheap, like an insert sticker and like a top set, or they were kind of like once in a while, right? Like you'd get an upper deck hologram and depending what year it was from, you'd either be like, well, this sucks or, oh, that looks nice. Right. But like inserts were like a thing that would maybe happen every now and then. And if you got an autograph, I mean, I remember getting an autograph of Doug Gilmore in a set of classic cards from 93 and just being like, wow, I got an autographed card. You know what I mean? It was just such an infrequent thing. And so for upper deck, and the players to basically say, hey, let's make this a really easy thing to get. So, yeah, this did drive up the price of cards, but this made that aspect of collecting, you know, autographs that much more attainable. So, I mean, that was one thing that came out of the strike that was a positive or yeah, it was and, just a big change. And and excuse me if this came from the article that you wrote, but I remember reading something about that set, too to the effect of when it was time to put the set out and pack everything out, they had every one of the autographs back from the players, except for one guy, like everybody signed and they had the autographs back in hand and were and available to pack out in the product at the time of release. So well, they weren't really playing games, so they had lots of time. Yeah. Lots of time, but you know, aren't some of the, don't some of these cards have like a print run of like 2,500 or something like that? Some of the autographs? Uh, I'm not something sure. Something crazy like that? But a lot of them, especially of just like the, the not so popular players, I mean, a lot of them could be found today for a buck or two. You'll pay more for like the better players, obviously, but I mean, it's not, it, it there, it, it's, they were done in different quantities than I would argue that they were probably done in larger quantities. Yeah. But compared to today, look at how much, look at how much of a pain in the butt and a problem that is for the card manufacturers to actually get all of their autographs back from players these days. And, you know, the rampant use of sticker autos because mm -hmm. they just have them sign sheets and they just keep them on hand so they can put the, put the autographs in the products. And if they don't, they just bombard you with redemptions because they have no other choices. You know, the fact that they had in this be a player set, you know, what was there? 180 cards, something like that. Something like that. I'll take a look while you talk. Yeah. To, to only get, to get everybody to send everything back except for one player. That's crazy. I don't know how, they weren't all necessarily signed. I mean, I don't think they were signed Fanimation cards. I think the signed cards, and then they got some, like, rookie headliner cards. I don't think those were signed either. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, but yeah. still, I mean, that, that big of a selection of players and only one guy, I think it was, like, Yuri Slieger didn't send his back. 
but that was it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, that was that was a big thing. And then also, um, uh, what was I going to say? Um, one interesting effect that carried over to the next season, and I'll just read this off because, um, you know, it's it's interesting, but not like, I don't know, it's not like the, the uh, you know, like a mic drop. But like, so with the 95-96 season, uh, card companies got a little creative with what they did with the card packs because um, you had, instead of the players playing 84 games, they played 48 games. Okay, so they could just list their what their stats were. But what I thought was creative was what they what each of the companies did. So what Tops did with their Bowman set was they listed out how each player did against the other teams in their division. So they broke down how, you know, um, this player did against the other teams that played in his division. With Pinnacle Select, they uh, actually broke down how each player did against every team in this conference because during the lockout shortened season the the teams only played other teams within their conference so they played their division rivals a lot they played their conference uh other teams in the conference they didn't play teams from the other conference until the finals when the devils and the um red wings played um so and also uh pinnacle with their pinnacle set what they did was they broke down how the players performance uh of uh games at home versus games on the road and then don russ i thought this wow, was the advanced most... analytics way back then uh, yeah way back then right yeah like um and then don russ i like this one they showed what the players stats were for, for the 48 game season but then they also did projected stats if they played an 84 game season and i thought that was cool because i mean obviously there's some you know, there's some margin of error there, but it was just, I thought it was just kind of a fun thing to do, you know, like, and if the full season played out, his 32 goals would have been 51 goals or whatever. Right. So I, I think that's kind of neat. I was, I was reading a tweet by somebody today about something similar to that, talking mm-hmm. about Jason Zucker in the trade to Pittsburgh and the fact that he's got, bunch of points in just a few games and what if he was here all season and we've got him signed through you know we've got a long-term contract with him and so if he puts up that kind of thing for full season for the next three years imagine the number of goals he's going to have it's like okay (laughs) yeah it's like when patrick kane scores two goals in the in the Blackhawks' first game of the season, and everybody's like patrick kane's on pace to score 164 goals and it's just like yeah, okay, it's not going to happen. You know, obviously, but it's 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 funny to say that, but um it's not um it, obviously it's not going to happen. I mean, nobody can produce at that pace except maybe Gretzky back in the day or Lemieux back in the day. Or Ovechkin. Oh yeah, or Ovechkin. So yeah, so just reflecting on 94-95, um, I think that was like the first year I really kind of cooled off on hockey a little bit because um, the the lockout, the, the sets just kind of doing this stuff where like, I didn't mind like cards being a buck a pack. Like, I didn't necessarily want Topps Finest that year. You know what I mean? Like, okay, great, they came out with Finest, but... I didn't necessarily was like, oh my God, yes, an all chromium set of hockey cards. It wasn't something 
that I was like super excited about back in the day. Cause then I was looking, I'm like, all right, well now cards are getting really expensive per pack. And this was around the time my tastes changed and I started collecting action figures because I was a toy collector anyways around that point. But like 1995 is when Kenner started making Star Wars figures again. And so this is when I started collecting Star Wars figures um, and maybe not collecting hockey cards as much. I was like saying, "Ah, I got 20 bucks. I'll buy a couple of Star Wars guys instead of um, cards. So that for me, I was kind of like I was kind of transitioning from one hobby to another hobby. Although I did, I did continue to collect hockey until like 97. And then for like the next few years, I was just like exclusively a toy collector. Um, but yeah, so the lockout had a, had a bit to do with that. Um, because, you know, like you said, the cars weren't around as much. You didn't have series two sets. It's not as much fun to collect hockey cards when the players are currently not playing. Um, you know, and then, and then, you know, and that, that all led to canceled sets, you know, a push for higher end products and this legal battle. So it was, it was a pretty interesting time for hockey cards. Yeah. And I think when I eventually did find stuff, the only cards that I even collected that year were, um, leaf and tops premier and ultra, I think upper deck, the, just the regular upper deck. Everything else was just either nowhere to be found or the be a player was just too expensive. And I didn't buy Finest either. I think that year, the sets that I bought, I remember buying Score and I remember buying Upper Deck because I always would buy Upper Deck. I actually remember buying a whole box of Upper Deck, but I can't remember if I bought it at full price or if I bought like a sealed box at Kmart for like a discount, like, cause this was around the times when we were getting boxes, like being sold as boxes for like 1999 or something. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, yeah, I, I remember buying upper deck that year. I remember buying, um, score. Um, I think at that point I was pretty much done with Fleer, Fleer ultra, all those types of sets. Um, I, Oh, I know that like, uh, Flair came out with its Flair set, F-L-A-I-R. That was another high-end set that came out um, that season. Yeah, and they, the, the, the packs were really fancy because they were like um, little boxes that would slide apart. Do you ever see those packs? Yeah. Yeah. And see, like, with, with Finest, I wasn't even aware of Finest until years later. Mm-hmm. It was... It was probably 90, I think it was probably 97, there was a small shop that had opened up, and I saw some of these cards with these blue borders that were shiny that had this peel cover on them, and I'm like, what the heck are these? And this guy had crazy prices on, like, Ryan Smith world junior card and and like wade redden and ed jovanovsky and stuff and the they were all in this case and i'm like we got into this whole philosophical discussion on whether or not that peel stuff was meant to be pulled off the card or not (laughs) so i don't know 
I suppose that's a, that's a that's a discussion too. To peel or not to peel, that is the question. Yeah, I don't know. I say enjoy them, peel them, collect what you want. Collect back what you... to that. Um. So yeah. So uh, that was um, that was a interesting year in hockey cards. Um, and uh, that's pretty much all I got to say about that. Um, it it changed things. Uh, some things for the better. Some things for the worse. Um, but uh, yeah. Um, uh, it's kind of fun to look back. Yeah, and in the grand scheme of things, that whole lockout. The uh, the owners still didn't get their salary cap like they wanted. They got the rookie <laughs> salaries capped, but that was it. It did. It took until way later. Well, they and needed a, that. Yeah, and another did. work stoppage. Yeah. Where they canceled the entire season. The only professional sport in North America that canceled a whole season. Yeah. Gotta love it, right? That yeah. that it's o- only the NHL, right? Like when you see when you hear about like extreme levels of dis- dysfunction in like sports, it's always hockey, right? The only only um, league to contract the NHL when the um, Cleveland Barons folded, right? You know, the only league to uh, lose an entire season to a work stoppage, the NHL, right? You know, the only league um, uh, to have its one of its uh, marquee teams upstaged by a Zamboni driver, the NHL. But we <laughs> like that story. We like, but we love that story. Yeah, but I wouldn't give up being a fan of this league in the world. I still think it's the best. Oh hell yeah, hell yeah, love uh, love hockey. You know, one one thing I've I've um, I'm always quick to say is that mm, I was kind of casually into sports as a kid. Family liked football. I watched the Bears. The Cubs were on, uh, usually preempting G.I. Joe and Transformers after school. So I watched a lot of Cubs waiting for their game to end so my cartoons would come on. But it wasn't until I found hockey that I really got it, that I really understood that passion and that excitement for sports. I mean, that that just it, it clicked for me there. You know what I mean? It was like it just made sense. It was it was awesome. It's and look at you fun. now. You are a World Beer Stanley Cup champion. Uh, uh, yeah, a uh, Chicago Outdoor Hockey League champion. Um, they gave us C-C-O-H-L. World Champion. Yes, lower See? lower D League in Niles, not 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 the other rink, the Niles rink, not the other location because they got a couple of different locations. But yeah, yay, Beer League hero. Um. So anyway, any uh, any parting shots before we uh, put a bow on this one? Um, the only thing is, uh, oh, if you if if anybody follows like hockey players and stuff on Twitter, you should follow Robin Leonard because he uh, he posted out what happens when you take a slap shot to the chest. Uh, it's a pretty interesting picture. Ouch! Yeah, so, have to... check, so check it out. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, please tell your friends about it. Please subscribe to this podcast. Please consider buying a shirt to support this podcast over at shop.puckjunk.com. But until next time, thank you for listening. 
for more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at PuckJunk.